Pastor here, glad y'all are with us this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation 7. As you're doing that, let me give you an update on the building, the progress on the pledge campaign and the timeline. So in, I guess it was June, we had 2.55 million pledged and we've had 2.59 million given by the people who pledged. So that's more. And I don't... So that's tremendous. And then we've had some people who gave who didn't pledge 82,000. So the total that we've brought in through this whole thing is $2.675 million. So that's tremendous in six months. You can clap for that. In six months to have that amount of money, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me and to our leadership team that that much money came through in such a short period of time. So thank y'all so much for praying and for giving so generously, really, just really, just uh, blown away. So here's a little bit of a timeline. Uh, a company called Integrity is doing the renovations. They started in mid-December, and their plan is to be done on May 22nd, which is the Friday before Memorial Day. And we're hoping for our first service to be May 31st. So we're, the goal would be for us to not have to pay rent here in June. So if we can get out and be there by May 31st, that would be tremendous. And then that bridge loan, all that, if y'all remember, we closed early for the sake of the people we were buying from. And in order to do that, we had to do some temporary financing. They paid all the interest charges on it. We were able, we, we paid that off in January um, when all the money came in. So kind of in terms of prayer, I'd say a, a few things. One, we, uh, a new tenant for 166. So City Church, they're the church that meets in the Strand, are most likely moving into most of the spaces that we have, but the 166, that's where the students meet. Uh, no, no tenant there, and if we can get one, it's great for the landlord, it's great for the square, and it saves us $27,000 in lease breakage fees. So you can pray for a tenant. Um, uh, Brandon Hutchins, he has this phrase, he calls it conscious incompetence, when you're doing something and you know you're not good at it, and that's kind of where I'm living with this building. I'm doing things that I know I'm not good at, and our staff, we're, we're trying the best we can, but the people I would say to pray for are Chris and Allie Cochran and Austin Mann. They're pros, and they're trying to help us navigate through the process, all of the decisions that have to be made in a timely manner, um, efficiently, hopefully making good decisions so that we don't slow down the construction process and so that we're all happy with the re end result. So you could be praying for those three and then pray that we'd hit the, hit the goal um, of May 31st, that we'd be able to move in there with as little um, turmoil as possible. Some of you may be new. I, uh, you may be, have jumped in uh, to Stonebridge sometime in the fall, and you may want to get involved. Absolutely, you still can. We're in the process of setting budgets for furniture and fixing, no, not fixings, finishings, furniture, finishings, and equipment. And uh, so there's uh, the, all this money that's come in has been wonderful. What's allowed us to do is really invest in kind of the structure of the building, the guts, the skeleton of it, I guess, the wires and the plumbing. It's a bunch of stuff you can't see, but it's going to be really, really helpful for us moving forward. And so now we're kind of setting the budget for all of the things that are pretty and nice. And so uh, we would, if you have not participated and you would like to, we would love for you to do that. Um, you can write a check and write building on the memo line. You can give online. There's a drop down that says building. Uh, anytime between now and the end of February would be super helpful for us. If you have any questions, you can email Bo. He's out of town this week, but 
he'll be able to get back to you as soon as he can. Uh, Bo Bryan, our worship pastor, is also the guy who's kind of heading up uh, the building thing, both in terms of the finances and the project. So, again, thank you all so much uh, for the way you've uh, given over the last six months. All right, Revelation 7. So last week, Jesus takes his scroll from the right hand of the Father, and he opens the first six seals. And so what we did was we were looking at Revelation 6 and Matthew 24, where Jesus gives a message on the, the, the end times, a sign of the end times, and we were comparing them. And what I said is I think the first five seals have all already been opened, and they're what Jesus calls birth pains. So that's what we're currently experiencing, and the closer we get to the end, the more intense those pains become, but that's where we're living right now. The sixth seal, I said, has not yet been opened. That marks a different phase in the end. We'll call it the last chapter. It's the day of the Lord, not a 24-hour period, uh, but a time when God will judge the wicked, where he will redeem the righteous, and where he will establish his kingdom. So his children will be redeemed. Those who've rejected him will be judged, and he will establish his kingdom on the earth. We're not there yet, um, in my opinion. That's still chapter 7, which is it's like a, it's an interlude or a pause between the 6th and the 7th seal. So it, John sees another vision before the 7th seal is opened, and that's what we're going to look at today, starting in verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who'd been given power to harm the land and the sea. Don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. And Benjamin, 12,000. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, they are those, uh, excuse me, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes." So what John sees is the sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G, the sealing of the people of God. So there's this vision. John sees some angels, four corners, don't take that literally, of the earth. And they're about to be released to do damage to the earth. When Jesus opens the seventh seal, there's a new series of judgments that are more intense than the ones we saw last week. 
They're called the trumpets, and the trumpets are more intense than the seals, what we saw last week. And those first four trumpets all have to do with the natural world being uh, destroyed to, to a degree. Land, fresh water, salt water, and before any of that happens, before any of that happens, God says, I'm going to seal my people. So you can think of like a signet ring, maybe. Uh, it's a sign of ownership. It's a sign of possession, and it would indicate that these people are going to be protected by God before all of this stuff begins to happen. And then John hears the number of those who would be sealed, 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. So some people think that means, well, literally, at the end, 144,000 Jews are going to be saved. I think it's a symbolic number. I don't know that there's a more symbolic number than 144,000. 12 times 12 is 144, the 12 Old Testament patriarchs, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, that gives you 144, 1,000 is a number, it's a, it's a multiplier, or a, it's a, it's a, it's a, symbolizes magnitude, and so to me, you've got a symbolic number there. The, the way these tribes are listed in Revelation, they're never listed that way anywhere else. Judah's first, even though he's not the firstborn. Dan's omitted. Manasseh's added. You never see this particular configuration of tribes in the Old Testament. Again, speaks to me that it's symbolic. And maybe most importantly to me when I'm reading it is I think about chapter 5, and you see a similar dynamic in chapter 5 and chapter 7. In chapter 5, Jesus, uh, excuse me, John sees the father with the scroll in his right hand. He starts weeping. He says, who's worthy to open the scroll? Nobody can open the scroll. One of the elders comes and says, hey, don't worry. Don't be upset. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's triumphed. He's worthy to open the scroll. What John hears is lion of the tribe of Judah. And then the next verse says, and he sees and he saw a lamb looking at as if he'd been slaughtered. He hears lion, but then he sees lamb. And we know it's the same person. It's Jesus. He's the lion and the lamb. And here you see some, we have something similar. John hears 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel, but what he sees is a great multitude that no one can count from every nation and tongue and tribe and people. That's the same group. The 144,000 is the great multitude. Those are the people who are sealed. And then we see soon, those are the people who are sealed through the Great Tribulation. It's the same group of people. I don't think it's 144,000 ethnic Jews, and then John sees a great multitude. The 144,000 is the great multitude. It's, it's the people of God. If you want to think about it in terms of Israel, it's spiritual Israel, not ethnic or racial Israel. And then John, uh, an elder comes up to him and says, who are these folks? And John says, I don't know. You, you tell me. You know who they are. And he says, these are they who came out of the great tribulation. So the great tribulation is a period of time of unparalleled trouble leading up to Jesus' return. Most people think it'll be seven years long. Seven is another symbolic number, maybe, maybe not. We're just, we'll say seven just for the sake of ease. A period of unparalleled trouble leading up to Jesus' return, and most people say it's seven years long. It'll be trouble for the people who don't know God in the Old Testament, excuse me, in Revelation, that phrase, inhabitants of the earth, we saw that last week, that refers to people who are hostile to God. And so during this seven years, their, their trouble will, will increase because God's judgments on the earth will increase. And we'll see that when we see the trumpets next week. But God's intention is still to save. 
the increase in the intensity of these judgments is designed to get people's attention. He's trying to wake people up to their need for a Savior before it's too late. So as we read these, some of them will be difficult to read. I mean, in some of them, people are physically being hurt, impacted. But the point of all of it is to try to wake people up to, for them to recognize their need for a Savior before it's too late. So for the inhabitants of the earth, the great tribulation will be unparalleled trouble because God's judgments will be increasing. For Christians, the great tribulation will be a time of unparalleled trouble because Satan's activity will increase. He'll recognize that his time is short, the Bible says. And so what he's going to do is see how many people he can lead astray and see how much damage he can do to the church. And we'll see that throughout the rest of Revelation as well. Trouble for the inhabitants of the earth because of God's judgments. Trouble for Christians because of the activity of Satan. But before any of that begins, God seals his people. He marks them. Revelation 14, we see this group again, and they have the name of the Father and the Son written across their forehead. Again, that's just symbolic, but it signifies ownership. That's what the seal is, ownership, possession, and protection. And then we see these guys in heaven around the throne, and Jesus is making everything right for them. They're not hungry anymore. They're not thirsty anymore. They're not in pain anymore. They're not scorched by the heat of the sun. And all of those are things that they would, th- this group would experience during the Great Tribulation. It will be a time of intense suffering. And Jesus is making all of those things right. So what does this mean for us? We're not living in the Great Tribulation. That's not the time that we live in. It's still future. Very well could be that we'll all be dead before that seven-year time period ever begins. And so how does this speak to us? The same dynamics that we see in Revelation chapter 7, sealing and tribulation and faithfulness or perseverance, whichever word you like, those same three dynamics that we see in Revelation 7, God would want, uh, God expects of us now. And those are our realities now. That's another way of saying it. There's just uh, less intensity. So we're sealed. We experience tribulation. God expects perseverance or faithfulness from us now. The tribulation's not as severe, but it's something that we still experience. Jesus says, in this world, you'll experience trouble. That is the word tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Ephesians 1 says that when we become Christians, that God seals us. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. And just like what Jesus in Revelation we see expects these, his followers to be faithful, even if it costs them their lives, So he expects us to persevere, be faithful in the midst of tribulation, regardless of the personal cost. Same dynamics, just less intense circumstances. So taking them one at a time, and you grab onto the thing that's most meaningful for you. Sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G. When you become a Christian, you're adopted into God. He promises you protection. Now that protection is sometimes physical, it's guaranteed spiritual. So the, the, the guys in Revelation 7 who lived through the Great Tribulation, they experienced suffering and many of them will be killed. It's not physical protection that this ceiling guarantees. It's spiritual, that they won't be lost to Jesus forever. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Jesus. Nothing can. 
Jesus says, nobody can snatch you from my hands. When you're adopted into his family, that adoption is secure. It was his choice. He chose to adopt you into his family, and no external circumstance can shake that adoption. Your health may be shaken. Your relationships may be shaken. Your finances may be shaken. Your emotions may be shaken. But your relationship with God, that's not shakable. He's got you. He's promised your spiritual protection to see you through. He doesn't necessarily remove us from difficulty, but he seals us through difficulty. That's what we see in Revelation 7. Again, there's a, there's a multitude too many to count who live through those very difficult days of the Great Tribulation. They're not zapped up to heaven before that happens. What they're promised is that God will see them through. He seals them before that difficulty begins. And the same thing is true for us. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit when you began to follow Jesus. And your salvation is secure. Tribulation, not necessarily pleasant. That word means a squeezing or being pressed together. And oftentimes, if we're in those circumstances, what we're asking for is for the circumstances to change. And you can do that. Like, that's great. Let's pray for God to change our circumstances. And he will when it's the right time. But what I would say is if there's a way for us to see this squeezing or this being pressed together as an opportunity, that can be helpful. You're going to be pressed. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to experience trouble. It's going to happen. And so if there's a way for you to see it as an opportunity when you're in the midst of it. I went to a funeral on Friday, Psalm 23, read at every funeral, and rightfully so. There's a, that, that line, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't fear because God is with us. And that idea of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I think, is important. Some people, when they're experiencing grief, they want to run through the valley of the shadow of death because it's not fun. How do I get through here as quick as possible? And some people, when they're experiencing grief, they don't want to walk at all. They want to set up camp, make a shrine. Stop time. Neither one of those is healthy. You want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't have to walk fast, but you got to walk. And Jesus says he'll walk with us. And when I think about tribulation, I think about that in a similar way. Those circumstances. Some of us, when, when we're pressed and when we're squeezed, we're just trying to figure, where's, where's eject? How do I get out of here as quick as possible? And others, it's not necessarily that we want to camp out there, although some people do and kind of become permanent victims. For some of us, we just kind of put our head in the sand. And what I would say is let's figure out how to walk through those times, asking God to use it. How does he use that? Jesus says in Matthew 12 that the good man or the good woman brings good out of the good stored up in him, and the bad man or the bad woman brings bad out of the bad that's stored up in him or her. And the, the image he uses is, is one of trees. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Apple trees produce apples. Orange trees produce oranges. You don't go to an apple tree looking for oranges. You don't go to an orange tree looking for apples. You can tell a tree by its fruit. And the same thing is true of people. And so when we're on vacation, like we're all great. We're all stars. We've got patience. We let people in in traffic. We're kind. We're self-controlled. But we're on vacation two weeks out of the year. And it's the rest of the year when we're squeezed and when we're pressed that we can see what truly is going on in our hearts. Many of us are great at managing our behaviors. We've gotten really good at that over time. But when you're squeezed, you're unable to manage your behaviors. There's so much pressure that what's genuinely in your heart comes out. 
And again, rather than maybe either being ashamed of that or, or justifying that, if we can just say, recognize it, say, this is what it is, and then compare it to Jesus, it'll give us an opportunity. It's like a test. We can actually see what's going on in our heart. Or it's like a game, and you're actually getting to keep score and see, this is who I really am. This is what actually is in here when I'm not managing my behavior and when everything's not going right with the world. So we're, we're pressed. Sometimes it's unexpected. We go to the doctor, just it's a physical, and we think it's normal, and we get the call, and it's not. We get a phone call, and a loved one has died unexpectedly. We go into our boss's office and think it's just a regular meeting, and we get reassigned or maybe even laid off. We're not prepared for those. You can't really prepare for those, but what you can do is over time, you can be investing in your relationship with Jesus, so there's actually a well of good that you can draw from. If you're never investing anything good, then when you're squeezed, there's no good to come out. Does that make sense? And so you want to be investing in that relationship over time so that when you need it, when you're squeezed, when you get the phone call, there's actually something good that can come out. But most of the ways that we're squeezed or pressed, I think it's routine. We call them those things. We call them pressure points or soft spots. And most of us, we can name what those things are. I'm an introvert. So like if I, if I look at my calendar and I see how I got a bunch of, I have a bunch of people today. That's a pressure, those are pressure points for me. And I know that. And so I can prepare for that. I can put a little space between the appointments so I'm not going back to back. Give me a few minutes to recharge. I can pray before those things that God would give me grace to stay engaged and to stay present. I tend to withdraw when I get tired like that. I'll still be in the room, but I don't engage And you may know, hey, it's this person, this relationship, this does it to me. It presses me. Or when I've got a deadline, I get pressed. Or at the end of the month, there's more month than there is money, and I know I'm going to be pressed. Most of us, again, we we can kind of name those things and recognize that's what's going on. I'm being pressed. And, And again, you can prepare for those things in some ways, prayerfully. And I would say as a part of that, also recognize what comes out of you in those moments when you're squeezed. And it's not going to be always beautiful. And to be honest about that, and again, to allow that to say, all right, well, that shows me something in my heart. And what could be in my heart could be a sin, and I need to repent. And it could be a wound, and I need to be healed. Or it could be an immaturity, and I need to grow. For some of you, when you're squeezed, what comes out of you is an outburst of anger. And that's not, that's not okay. That's a sin. And you need to repent of that. It doesn't matter if your dad got angry and your grand, granddad got angry and your uncles get angry. It doesn't matter. It's not okay. And you need to repent and recognize that. For some of you, when you're squeezed, you retreat to pornography because it makes you feel some sense of control. That's not okay. You need to repent of that. There are sinful, those sinful reactions and responses we want to own and repent. For many of us, we have hurts in our heart that have never been healed. Some of you, you were rejected at some point growing up, and that's made a deep wound in your heart, and every time you feel left out, that thing gets poked, and you start bleeding all over everybody. And it's not about this situation in 2020. This is magnified by what happened in 1993. And until you allow the Lord to heal what happened in 1993, you're never going to be okay moving forward. You've got to invite the Lord in. Time doesn't heal anything, but God can heal everything if you 
give him the opportunity. So if, if your response is kind of ugly, one thing you may want to ask the Lord is like, where's that coming from? That was completely disproportionate to the circumstance. What is that? It very well could be that you have a, there's an area of your heart that's wounded and it got poked and it hurt. And so you lashed out in some way and you need to ask the Lord to heal you. And that may look like forgiving somebody, not calling them on the phone and reminding them of what they did to you 20 years ago, but in your heart, God, I release them from judgment. It may look like something else. You may need to go talk to somebody about that. But until those wounds are healed, that, that's going to continue to come out of you. Maybe a better picture, this is gross, than bleeding all over everybody. You know when something gets infected and has, you're pussing all over everybody. That's gross. But that's what you're doing if it's not healed. And every time it gets poked, that's what's coming out on everybody. And you've got to ask the Lord to do that. Maybe it's an area where you need to grow. I mentioned for me, when I have a lot of people in a row, I'll disengage. I'm still physically there, but I'm, not, I'm checked out. That's not a sin issue. It's an immaturity issue. And I need to, I'm never going to be an extrovert, but I can, I can grow to the point where I can stay engaged. And I need to ask the Lord for help with that. Some of us, we say things like, that they, just, they, just, they just bring this out of me. Or this circumstance that, that people can only bring out of you what's actually in you. One of our kids told me one time, he said, listen, there's three kinds of people in the world. There's people that I like, there's people I don't mind, and there's people who are asking me to punch them in the face. And what I would say, like, that's not okay. Like, there's something in that kid that they're, that's, they're grabbing on. To, if that's not in there, then they can't pull it out of that child. Do you see that? And the same thing's true for us. They just make me so angry. No, you're angry. You're angry. Don't blame them. Ask the Lord what it is in your heart that's coming out. Allow these tribulations, these pressings, these squeezings together, not to cause you to blame other people, not to justify what you're doing, but to say, where am I falling short of the image of Jesus? And we're all falling short. Like, that's not news to anybody. We're all falling short and to say, okay, so God, I want to invite you into this. I want to invite you into this place in my heart. I want to repent in the areas where I'm sinning. I want to be healed in the areas where I'm still hurting. And I want to grow in the areas where I'm immature. Last thing, and then we'll close. Perseverance or faithfulness, whichever words you like better. God's still looking for that. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Perseverance is the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. And that's the win. It's just bearing up. We'll see as we read through Revelation it's, it's kind of a grim picture for Christians. A lot of them die, and they win by dying. It's just hanging in there. Don't quit. Don't bail. Don't run away. Just stay in there. Persevere. Bear up under the difficulty. And that's what God is looking for from us. Romans 5, 3 says that trials, tribulation, trouble, the words tribulation, tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance is what we need in tribulation. So even the circumstances that are difficult now are preparing you for the next round. And that's how God works. He doesn't waste anything. What we want is when we're squeezed, the fruit of the Spirit to come out. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And those things coming out in increasing measure. And so that's the standard for us. And when we see something other than those fruits coming out, 
Again, not, not to beat ourselves up or condemn ourselves and certainly not to justify and say that's just who I am or that's just what, that's just this circumstance is always going to do this to me. But to say, okay, Jesus, help me. Help me close this gap between the good fruit that I want to come out of me and this kind of gross fruit that I see coming out of me. We're going to close this morning with communion. The way we'll do that, you'll come forward a row at a time, break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. We have gluten-free communion here. If you need that, that's better for you. Um, Every uh, Sunday that we take communion, we pray for people who are physically sick. And so if you have a physical need, we would love the opportunity to pray for you. There'll be teams here up in the front, and they'll anoint you with oil, make a little cross in the back of your hand, and pray really simply for God to heal you. And you just need to give a real general um, description of what's going on. You know, your back hurts or something like that. You don't have to give any kind of... uh, medical diagnosis, and they'll just pray for God to heal you. But I also, uh, I want you thinking about this, and you can close your eyes if you don't mind. Just kind of prayerfully think through this. So some of you are currently being squeezed, and you're hyper aware of your need. Many of you are not currently being squeezed, and we live kind of blissfully unaware of our need. We're not aware of the places where we need Jesus. We're really great at taking care of ourselves. Again, there are times where we're squeezed and we recognize that, and if that's where you are, that's, that, that you're, you're ahead of the game this morning, ahead of the curve. But for the rest of us, I want you to be willing to ask the Lord this question, God, where do I need you? Where do I need you that I'm not even aware of? You may have all your physical needs taken care of. There may be something different. Again, thinking about none of us exude perfect love and joy and peace and patience. There may be something else. I don't know. But what I want you to see when you come forward and take communion, and for some of you, this is, you've been doing this for a long, long time. You've lost track of how many times you've broken off a piece of bread and dipped it in juice. But to recognize this is like a, it's a, uh, it's a down payment on what God is doing and wants to do in your life. It's a union. And as you come forward, recognize this is the place where those things meet. This is the place where my deep need meets his gracious provision. It's in the cross. Symbolized by bread and juice. And we're reading in the end of Revelation 7 and these promises. No more hunger and no more thirst and no more tears and no more scorching heat. That's that for us feels like a fairy tale at times. That's going to be our reality forever and ever and ever and ever. That is where you will live. As a son or a daughter of God. And we can experience that to a degree, not fully and finally, but we can experience it to a degree here and now. 
And so as you come forward and take communion, I want to encourage you to do it in faith. Again, recognizing this is where my deep need meets his gracious provision. Believing that even now he's working to wipe away every tear, to quench hunger and or quench thirst and satisfy hunger. That last paradox in there, the lamb has become the shepherd, or the lamb is the shepherd. The one who was slain on our behalf is also the one who guides us and protects us. He both is the provision, Jesus is, and the provider. So, Father, I pray as we come forward today, we would do so with hearts that are expectant. God, I pray for those who are being squeezed right now. And I do pray you change their circumstances as soon as possible, when it's best. And until then, God, I pray they keep walking. I pray they keep walking through the valley. And that you would use the squeezing to conform them more into the image of your son. God, I pray for those, those of us who are kind of blissfully unaware of our need. I pray that you would remind us of all of the places where we come up short and where we need you to intervene. And as we take communion, God, I pray that we would recognize the provision that you've made. God, if there's anyone in this room who hasn't yet made a decision to follow you, they're kind of on the outside looking in, I pray they would hear your loving invitation to them to welcome them into family as a son or a daughter. And I pray their prayer is simply, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's simply. And that you would respond and that they would be welcomed and grafted into your family. God, I pray for those who are sick and that you would touch their bodies just as a sign of the reality that your kingdom is coming here in their bodies as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us now? I pray in these last few minutes that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen.